I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Roger, it's Brian. Look, I know this sounds a little far-fetched, but I want you to meet me every night between October the 21st to December the 18th at 7.30 p.m. at a place called the Menier Chocolate Factory in London Bridge. Some days at 3 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. People are going to watch us a bit like a zoo or whatever. And I'll give you a cut. If you do want to find out more, look at the internet. Manyachocolatefactory.com. Speak soon. Bye. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um, <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. you pop craze youngsters and welcome to part three of episode 62 of chart music i'm al needham they're taylor parks and david stubbs and we are midway through a comprehensive snuffle around the pissy denim crotch of november the 3rd 1977 let's not fuck about let's rejoin the episode in progress Punk rock! To send the message, we declare we'll contact The Carpenters and calling occupants of interplanetary craft. We liked that one, didn't we? Yes. You bet we did. Hey, a bigger bunch of lunas you're never likely to meet. The Baronites, a new entry at 23. And live it up! Everybody has their little troubles. Back to Powell, suddenly flanked by two women, with the camera pulled back to reveal he's tucked his t-shirt into his jeans because it's the 70s and everybody is still thin. I think Stan Bowles was the only person in Britain in the 70s who went about with his shirt and tucked. <laughs> Can't think of anyone else. Mm. With his free hand delicately holding the mic lead, but unfortunately over his crotch, as he asks a girl in a flat cap if she liked that. She did. <laughs> he then says, Hey, a bigger bunch of loonies you're oh, never likely to what meet. Yeah. What a yeah. Well, having been a warden at Broadmoor Secure Unit for 11 <laughs> years, I can confirm this. Oh, those loonies, the Baronites. <laughs> he throws us into the direction of live in trouble by the Baronites. 
or live it up as he thinks it's called oh no yeah oh fuck me yeah yeah and then he picks it up at the end and goes oh that was live in trouble because someone's obviously told him he got the title wrong yeah he's thinking of the other comedy genius of the era russ abbott isn't it <laughs> we're actually dealing with live in trouble by the baron knights we dealt with the Baron Knights in chart music number 34, and this single, the follow-up to the Frank Spencer song, which failed to chart in 1974, marked their return to the charts for the first time since an Olympic record got to number 35 in November of 1968. After nine years of non-chart action while they tried to be a proper band with their own songs, they went back to taking a sideways look at the hits of the day and debuted this medley at a club in Tenbear on the night that Elvis died, which led to a deal with Epic. It entered the charts last week at number 42, and this week it soared 19 places to number 23. And here they are in the studio for their first Top of the Pops performance since they played Here Come the Bees in October of 1967, 10 years and one month ago. Fucking hell, and 10 years and one month was a fucking eon Mm. in pop terms of the 70s, don't you think? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But that, it's just that horrible. He doesn't even say, you know, Peter Powell. It doesn't. He doesn't even say, "Give a bigger bunch of loonies." You're never likely to meet. Oh, and he You actually yearn for the sort of wildian, elevated dryness, naphristic wit of Noel Edmonds at this point. Mm. You know, you genuinely do. You actually, I find myself hankering for Noel. Good lord! I know. I mean, it's that that that, that bad. So where do we start with this? Let's get the look out of the way because, as always, the Baron Knights have come dressed as a supporting cast of oh no it's selwyn frogget at a dinner dance haven't they (laughs) red velvet hunting jackets over white walls viennetta shirts with massive condor collars fuck me Mm. they are huge Mm. if there was such a thing as air conditioning in the 1970s if someone had turned that on in the studio they're going to be smashed against the back wall aren't they Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. Um, I mean, I just can't really believe it. it's a bit like watching Seinfeld recently, and it's just mm-hmm. like because I lived through all of this at the time and didn't think anything that was untoward about the way that they dress, and then it's like twenty, thirty years only think, fucking hell. I mean, yeah. how did we kind of, <laughs> how did we manage to keep our focus on anything at all other than these appalling mullets and, and yeah. trainers and stuff like that, or in this case, yeah, these you know ghastly collars and what have you. It's, yeah, they look like John Pertwee just regenerated, but something. <laughs> went horribly mm. wrong yes yes <laughs> so the song or, or songs if you will they're putting down a marker for future years this is the baron knights we're going to see on top of the pops every year round about this time for the next three years or so mm. doing funny versions of the pop favorites yeah they start off with a pop at the old sailor with an interpretation of you make me feel like dancing which got to number two in november of 1976 and then they move on to float on by the floaters which of uh, course got to number yeah. one in august of this year yeah. first things first there's a missing tune in there isn't there yeah do you know what it is david no i do long ago outside a chip shop in walthamstow stood a young rocker named greasy joe Ooh. put on his helmet and said let's go mm. oh he was keen yeah, he drove down the high street like Barry Sheen, <laughs> doing his best to look very mean. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Till he saw 
um, yes. new machine. Angelo by the Brotherhood of Man, oh, which also wow. got to number one in August. Yeah. Before Elvis died while he was having a shit and ruined everything. Yeah. And that's the fucking best tune of the whole thing. There is a version mm. on YouTube where they do Angelo, mm. and it's like it's sort of edited into this clip, but it fades in and out, and they're wearing different coloured smoking jackets in it. So, oh, really? Yeah, so I think it's an edit of two performances. I'm assuming uh, they did this on Top of the Pops twice, because why yeah. wouldn't you ask these heroes back again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that's, that's weird, because I do remember taping this at the time, you know, with my little kind of mono cassette recorder, mm. and, um, you know, somewhat uncritically, you know, I, you know, I included this in selection, but I don't remember that... That Angelo bit, I must admit. So they passed the bloody tower at a hundred miles an hour. Yeah, I used to love it. Yeah, that went down a treat on the playground. That song did. Yeah. Probably, well, the least appalling of the bunch. You know, mm. it's about as good as it gets according to their own lights. My tailor took my pants in, but he left in all the pins. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah the, the general conceit is that the old sailor is such a high pitched voice because he's got yeah. tailor's pins jabbing into his testicles. Yeah. Then the, this float on. Oh, fucking hell. I mean, I was just sitting there and praying that they just didn't do it in blackface because it was blackface <laughs> central, wasn't it? They didn't just sort of come on. But then I suppose that's the thing with the medley. I think if it hadn't been a medley, then I think that cork would have been kind of smeared mm. right across, you know. But uh, never mind, you know, there's a little bit of mycophobic comedy instead. Hurry, my name's Michael. Yes. And of course, we're the homophobia, cancer, and I can't stand girls. If anyone touches mm. that drummer, I'll scratch their eyes out. Yeah. Um, Standard uh, 70s fair isn't it irish people are stupid yeah. and homosexuals are amusing it's it's it's, it's just really sad you know like people you, you can't say anything these days yeah well when you yes. could this is yeah. the shit that people said <laughs> yes exactly yeah when you stop being able to say that stuff people had to kind of yeah, yeah. think a bit like come up with something different that was maybe yeah. a bit funny david mm. your alicia would she be au fait with the idea of the irish joke no no and this is the it's thing completely gone hasn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing with a lot of, you know, sort of contemporary comedy and like that is that, you know, it's not that young people, that ooh, they'd like to laugh, but they know that they shouldn't. You know, it's nothing like that at all. They're just absolutely left blank by it. It's just like, what is this? You know, this yeah. is this is appalling. And, you know, and, and, you know, there is a generational gap. I think there are people that, you know, with something obvious, like the whole Faulty Towers thing, so with Manuel or whatever. I mean, I'm a generation that actually does still think it's, you know, it's funny, but you wouldn't do that nowadays. Whereas I think mm. nowadays I think... What are you doing? This is horrible. Yeah. You know, this bears yeah. no relation to reality. Yeah. Yeah, nowadays yeah. that section of this record would go, uh, Hello, hello, hello. I'm Michael. I'm passionate mm. romantic and oppressed by you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That'd work. <laughs> is it the th- one thing you can say for the Baron Knights is that they can at least come up with parody songs where the supposedly humorous words do fit the meter of the original mm. and actually scan yeah. which is yeah. apparently harder than you'd think considering that mm. most song parodies you hear have the flow of an early Manic Street Preachers record you know what I mean mm-hmm. so you've got to give them credit for that and yeah. the other thing you can say for them is they do make the Grumbleweeds look like a bunch of awful cunts but yes. then so do the <laughs> Grumbleweeds the, the main <laughs> problem is that that all the time they've spent on that stuff is not matched by the time they've spent on the actual jokes. Because it's like, mm. Float On is probably the most easily parodiable song in history. And the, mm. that's the best they can come up with, right? There's a mm. gag that isn't a gag, an anti-Irish gag that also isn't really a gag. 
and then mm. a, a homophobic gag at a playground level with again no actual mm. gag in it but it's this idea that people with no real sense of humor have from spitting image to whimsical indie comedians that's something which would not raise a titter if you said it or wrote mm. it down suddenly becomes hilarious if you put it in a song whereas in fact the truth is pretty much the opposite of that you know like there's half decent jokes that just die of embarrassment when you set them to music you know mm. you can only make a funny song work if the humor is very very dry and you know the baronite or whatever else you want to say about it it's at least damp <laughs> and it's such a grim face audience as grim face i've ever seen on top of the pot you know barely raise a titter they all look like they're waiting for a coach to take them to doncaster or something yeah yeah, yeah there's a brilliant bit in the during their amusing reworking of you make me feel like dancing just as pete langford who is the the small curly one he's like mm. the one like, who looks like the drunken baker yeah or the runt of the litter that also produced keith harris and ben dover um, <laughs> just as he sings he took my pants in pants in just the other day there's a spectacular display of silent disapproval from this rather <laughs> sour-faced girl in the crowd who rolls her eyes like a cartoon dog and looks around at her mate with a stinking expression of bored <laughs> contempt although she's still shifting from foot to foot to the throbbing beat of the Baron Knights while she does it mm. at least to turn the hoses on the audience if they stopped <laughs> uh, I mean that's yes 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 that's a bizarre thing they having to sway along to it but, but it's um, a shame because how many songs or song fragments which begin my trousers get people talking aren't great mm. this yeah. is the only one <laughs> mm, mm. it's like you were saying earlier on you know you know the, the jokes shit they're just sort of like placeholder jokes isn't they okay just have that then so we think of something good and they never do yeah it's it's um yeah. i mean you can't blame the, the audience something like that but, but just generally with with the audience i suppose it's not just this program but this entire era that i suppose they can't have them guffawing away i mean there were probably people who could find the country that would actually laugh to this stuff and give out full proper cannibal benny laughs but um mm. they can't be done everything has to be kind of lukewarm the response it's almost like some sort of bbc protocol that doesn't yeah. allow for people to get really really excited i mean fucking it was the yeah. mid 70s people get enormously excited but everyone it's almost like perhaps the audience is specifically selected a bit like a jury says, have you ever heard of david bowie no okay good you're in you know they're actually selected on the basis of not having much interest in pop music just so they don't get too excited mm. and you know bubble over the top in terms of what's considered acceptable on top of the pops and that's what peter powell is it's one man enthusiasm machine and he's having to sort of generate it all alone which I mean makes him look even more of a kind of sort of pitiable specimen yeah <laughs> it's a shame with the baronites they were quite well regarded as a pop comedy group in the 60s mm. When yes. they first came roaring out of Leighton Buzzard, <laughs> doing parodies of the hits of the day. And those records aren't funny either, but no. I think in those days, people would just respond to the competence of the parody more than anything mm. else, yes. right? And their mm. laughter was just a show of appreciation for that. Like It's like delighted chuckles at the novelty of it rather than actual belly laughs yeah. at the idea of what would happen if Mick Jagger had to work in an office or the Dave Clark <laughs> Five join the army which is what those songs mm. are about which, and, and that's the other thing those records weren't really piss takes because they were obviously fans of all these groups mm. but they were the only cabaret act at the time 
who were young enough to be into the Beatles and the Stones and bothered to The only band to ever support the Beatles and the Stones, the Barry Is that true? I could believe it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But people would hear that and appreciate it and just laugh like a reflex. It's weird oh, how imagine, Can you imagine like. if the Baron Knights did Altamont? <laughs> 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 All those old angels would go, oh, let's put our knives away and have a good chuckle. So that they'd be too busy rolling in the aisles to exactly. uh, administer <laughs> any kind of, you know, <laughs> impromptu execution. Yeah. Wow. God, there's a whole parallel turn of history there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would cheer the whole day up a lot, you know. We'd still be in the 60s now if that had happened. Yeah, yes, we'd have, yeah, the dark heart of the 60s would have been kept at bay, yes. Yeah. And good old-fashioned cabaret chuckles. Uh, yeah. And plays on words. <laughs> but by the time you get to their late 70s chart renaissance, the, the that novel is gone, you know, mm-hmm. and they are just a bunch of competent old hacks and this is the first run out for their new formula but they use the same formula on all these singles they have like yeah. a triptych of hit song parodies linked mm-hmm. by a bit of uh, self-penned boogie which sets yes. up each section in the in the style of a cabaret comic saying wouldn't it be funny mm. <laughs> yes. if tommy cooper met larry grayson mm. um <laughs> and then, then they just repeated yeah, it which probably happened loads of times <laughs> yeah. in the um, bbc bar yeah yeah so th- so they they did uh taste of aggro never mind the presence uh, the not unracist food for thought, mm. um, if mm. you know that one, um, she's oh. only really worth hearing it or worth still watching the video just to imagine what kind of reception that would get on Twitter <laughs> these days. Um, <laughs> now, we've asked the question before about the Baron Knights. If, if they're doing three cover versions on a single, how are they getting paid? Mm. The usual answer is, obviously, they slip out one of their own songs on the B-side. But in this case, they've given us more of the same on the uh-huh. other side. So there's a cover of D-I-V-O-R-C-E, oh. uh, which is about a dog shitting up a tree instead of pissing against it. Mm. Oh, the, the, the bluer stuff, yeah. Yeah. A, a pretty straight cover of Loving You, where um, the drunken baker goes on a killing spree amongst the wildlife. <laughs> and a cover of Lucille involving what can only be described as bummable. <laughs> yeah, his, his girlfriend, they go to a fancy dress party and she's come dressed up as a cow and then she drops something and, oh, hmm. hilarity ensues. You see, you say that and you think, there's no way that cannot be hilarious. <laughs> so, it's only Pete Langford, the drunken baker, who's getting any money out of this single because he's the one who writes the linking devices. Mm. But the Baronites don't give a fuck because their bread and butter is the cabaret circuit. And by yeah. this point, they could well be the busiest cabaret act in the UK. I read an interview round about this time in the stage where it had got to the point where they're begging their management to give them a few days off before Christmas so they can play golf. <laughs> <laughs> They've just completed a triumphant three-night stand at the Talk of the West in St Agnes <laughs> they've got a full week at the night out in Birmingham coming hey. up and this Great. performance and the one a fortnight from now is essentially going to ensure that they'll be booked up right into 1979 and beyond leaving the rocking berries the black abbots and the grumble weeds choking on their dust <laughs> oh good gracious yeah. yeah the main problem with the Baronites is they're easier to take the piss out of than the the things they're taking the piss out of. Yeah. It's not that you have to be super cool to be a piss taker, but 
it has to come from some sort of anger or irreverence or contempt or or joy or something vital you know not just the automatic chuckle response of a bunch of rancid professionals you know who don't feel anything ever you know we certainly don't get that kind of dead reaction on the single there's a lots of laughter and that someone goes ah when they do float on uh, and, and they sound suspiciously like the members of the Baron Knights reacting to their own song, <laughs> creating ah, that chicken yeah, yeah. in a basket atmosphere. Yeah, well, they, all, all of those, they, they, it sounds like the seeds roaring alive, you know, all of these records. They're not, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, that effect <laughs> is quite familiar. And of course, the other thing about the Baron Knights, you, you, you just couldn't have a Baron Knights today because back then, everybody knew these songs yes absolutely you know so when the baron knights pitched up and said oh you know let's have a bit of a laugh with this song everyone in that audience which would be dad's age would immediately know i mean it's it's a bit like you don't have impressionists anymore because nobody knows who the fuck anybody is anymore mm. it's just like you know you can't say no you do your gareth williamson you know it's yeah. like it's not gonna work is it you know who's that standing over there by the nipples table oh it's pewdiepie <laughs> <laughs> but i mean yeah. it would get worse for the baron nights mm. after the hits dried they did two Christmas TV specials. But here's the thing. They were on Channel 4. I know. Oh, my God. Like, in 1982 and 1983. Lenin bum in a Rastafarian era Channel 4. Yeah, no there they were. Mm. Like, sandwiched in between Brent Community Action Theatre's salute <laughs> to Enver Hodger and uh, <laughs> advice on that would be a lesbian after the nuclear war it, uh, <laughs> suddenly you've got these glistening hams with their <laughs> shortling mock rock um doing mm. songs about how factory workers are lazy and overpaid and yeah. a, a version of bohemian rhapsody about how his mum's really fat you know um <laughs> wasn't the usual oh, channel for fair yeah. oh and they threw in their version of lucky number by lena lovich which is about being chased by a sheep oh fucking hell and yeah one of these specials did even include that hilarious video for food for thought which nowadays Ooh. some uptight stick in the mud left would try to say Ooh. was racist no doubt mm. Mm. the sheer british shitness of these programs is really something to behold you know <laughs> would they have that little shit triangle in the corner during the <laughs> a brown triangle <laughs> <laughs> it's like a shot on video tv cabaret mm. shows with they've got little sketches filmed in a fucking field presumably just outside blast off buzzard so they could mm. sleep in their own piss stained beds that night and there's a bit like they're on stage and and lovable anvil face duke de monde does a big mor ballad and he gives it the big intro right like hey well we've had a bit of fun tonight but this is where we take things uh, a little more seriously so obviously being a veteran viewer of fine british club comedy of the golden age mm. i was expecting something wacky to happen to yeah. undercut it mm. right but no, it really is just, and this is me. But in this case, it's, oh, it and up. this is me, a cunt. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that's your yeah. Christmas. You know, have a nice 1983. You know, fucking hell. Oh I say, God. unplug the telly, put on the ZX Spectrum and have a game of Emlyn Hughes cunt soccer. Mm. <laughs> mm. No, that'd be 1982. 1983, yeah. it would be Emlyn Hughes cunt soccer 2. 
That was yeah. the sequel. It mm. got his, just he had new graphics. Or the Shaker game, of course. Yeah. Just because the seventies ended in the five year diary doesn't have to mean they have to end for real. No. A perma seventies. Mm. Mm. So, the following week, Live in Trouble jumped nine places to number 14, and a week later it got to number seven, its highest position. The follow-up, Back in Trouble Again, which covered Bohemian Rhapsody, Telephone Man and Space Auditor, failed to chart in January of 1978, but they repeated the trick to greater success with A Taste of Agro, which got to number three in December of 1978, and Never Mind the Presence, which got to number 17 in December of 1979. Yeah, saddest of all, if you type their name, into Google or YouTube these days, you get as far as Baron, and they're only the second suggestion that pops no. up. Yeah, after Baron Trump, uh, oh. who I believe was <laughs> named after them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you ask me, they've only got themselves to blame. <laughs> in trouble terrific what a nice bunch of lads the Baron Knights can you spin like that oh not bad not bad hey we are the champions queen I paid my dues time after time I've done my sentence but committed no crime we cut back to Powell with two more women, both with proto-Trisha Yates hairdos. He then asks the girl on his left, in a baggy pink roll neck that looks a bit foreskinular, if she could spin like one of the Baron Knights did, and they both do so. He then says, hey, because he's Peter Powell, and introduces We Are The Champions by Queen. We've covered Queen many a time and oft on chart music, and this, their ninth single, is the follow-up to Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy, which got to number 17 in July of this year. It's also the lead-off single from their new LP, News of the World, which came out last week. It entered the charts at number 30 a fortnight ago, then soared 17 places to number 13, and this week it's up 7 places to number 6. As the band are getting ready to kick off their 1977 world tour in America, here's the video, which was shot at the New London Theatre in front of specially invited Queen fan club members who were also treated to a dress rehearsal of the tour. Mm. So, chaps, here we are, Top of the Pops, another Queen video, because it would be another five years before they deigned to appear on the Top of the Pops stage. And the excuse has always been that since Bohemian Rhapsody, they've refused to mime on the show as it would compromise their integrity but (laughs) i believe there's another reason i direct you and the pop craze youngsters to the book entitled top of the pops mishaps miming and music Ah. by ian gittins and the following quote from well i'll leave you to decide who (laughs) it is I introduced Queen doing Seven Seas of Rye, and they were a very important band, but I was in one of my moods. As soon as they started miming, I put on a janitor's coat, got a brush, jumped on stage, and started sweeping up behind them. 
Brian May was doing a big guitar solo, so I picked up the brush like a guitar and walked towards him, and we soloed together. That had never been done before with a group like Queen. Mm. Mm. Would you care to guess who that was? I don't know. He got a beard? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're getting warmer. Uh. Somebody who, needless to say, always had the last laugh, definitely. It's Travis. Uh. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit ungrateful of Queen not to appreciate his comic contribution. <laughs> I mean, putting aside the reason that that had never been done to Queen because it was their first fucking single. <sighs> and in the two separate performances that are available on YouTube, I can't see the cunt anywhere. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if he was lying or not, but you can imagine that it happened. Or maybe it's a dress rehearsal or something like that, and he leaves out that uh, key detail. But is it any wonder they don't want to get involved with Top of the Pops if that palaver's going no, on? I, mean, I, I can understand. I mean, people are really talking about video at this stage but i think they desire artists perhaps just protect their own concept and not have it kind of compromised by the kind of naffness of appearing on stage on top of the pops where there's all kinds of factors out of your control yeah I mean, Kate Bush, I mean, she did appear on Top of the Pops, I think, in a sort of late, latter yeah. stage of her career, you know, where we you know, were just a couple of dancers and it looked hideously kind of budgetary compared with set pieces mm. that she'd um, put together before, right from the beginning, really. Yeah, I, I understand that. I understand that on their part. I mean, Queen, yeah. generally, always had kind of mixed feelings about them, in a sense. I mean, on the one hand, mm. you know, I mean, like my friend Andrew Muller once described them as Gale Force rubbish, and I, I get an element <laughs> of that, really. And I think, I mean, for one thing, the, the thing I hate to the point it physically hurts is Brian May's guitar. That horrible tuning sounds like you're torturing Badger's genitals. (laughs) Plucking pubes. Horrible stuff. (laughs) Mercury, I find, you know, absolutely preposterous, but then that's the sort of sense of an indisputable, unabashed star. I mean, that's kind of key to the whole thing, really, that wonderful rampant Mm. shamelessness. I mean, I do love that story um, in Danny Baker's Going to See on a Sieve, I think it is, you know, just when he worked in a record shop. I mean, this was very early on, just before Queen broke, and Freddie Mercury comes in, you know, with a couple of the other gigs from Tween in Tow, and he gives them, you know, their their debut album to put on, and, you know, there was no geezer who owns the shop. He just plays a couple of minutes of it, just rubbish. Gives it back to them. <laughs> you know, Freddie Mercury is obviously <laughs> absolutely indignant at this kind of snap judgment. Mm. He goes out in front of the shop and he just shouts at people in the precincts on the street, whatever. Attention all shoppers. Do not shop in this retail outlet. The owner knows not at all what he is talking about. Not one whit. You know, something along <laughs> those lines. Attention all <laughs> shoppers. I mean, I absolutely love that. <laughs> and this is that early era, Mark One era of Queen. I mean, look at this absolutely preposterous outfit he's wearing, this kind of black and white, mm. right down to the navel thing. And those, you put me fame yes. and fortune, and if it, fame and fortune, if it goes with it, you know, that kind of Rick as a young yeah. one sort of preposterous. Like a two toned mime artist. Yeah, 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 definitely. It, oh, I could just imagine him doing a mime routine to Ghost Town. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's it's that 70s era of Queen, pre-Freddie Mercury, presumably getting exposed to the sort of late 70s New York, you know, gay scene or whatever, because, you know, this is kind of, you know, preposterously effete, you know, anti-man Freddie Mercury. And then in the, yeah. the 80s, he comes back as this macho moustache, you know, it's, it's fist fucker Freddie back in, in, the, in the early 80s. It's an absolute <laughs> transformation. There are two Freddie Mercuries out there. Fisty Mercury. And the only other thing I think is... is I just wonder how cynical artists are or premeditative when they call the song something like 
we are the champions, knowing the kind of future royalties or whatever they'll engender through being used in sports shows or whatever and triumphalist events of that mm. kind of nature. I mean, you know, can imagine that we are the runners up. Yeah. Also, like with Spandau Ballet, you know, and I'm sure that the first draft it was just like, bronze, ooh, always believe. <laughs> and then said, you know what, we can go better than this. Okay, yeah. Silver. Yeah. No, no, even better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Daily Thompson's not going to pole vault in slow motion to no. that. <laughs> Don't know. Think uh, again. Have it gone bronze? <laughs> Not bad in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, it. my first reaction to this song, which still lingers today, is a sense of outrage that when I heard it for the first time, and it wasn't a cover of the theme tune to the TV show of the same name, and, mm. you know, the video didn't consist of the band Invest in Shorts doing a Fonz double thumbs up and then, <laughs> and then running about on an obstacle course before Ron Pickering turns up and shouts, away you go, <laughs> and the band all jump into a swimming pool. <laughs> really upsetting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Taylor. Well, uh, Queen, my question to you is, but what if you weren't the champions? Uh, mm, think good on. Good point, well made. Yeah. So I sit here and this song plays, but I can't hear it. It's like the mm. judder of the fridge or the, you know, yeah. or the constant pings on my phone from The Athletic. <laughs> it's there, but it's only a rustle in the corner of the consciousness, you know. Not yeah. because it's understated, you understand, or no. insufficiently demonstrative, but because it's been repeated to the point where it can be ignored. Well, perhaps where it can only be ignored, right? A lot of the time, the key to fully appreciating older music is to hear it as though for the first time but obviously in this case that's impossible it's like thinking mm. is the funeral march a good song <laughs> don't know i mean yes. you hear it so often <laughs> and usually not on a happy day it's impossible to tell your your critical response uh, from your instinctive flinch you know mm. but but let's have a go so this record uses some quite appealing musical tricks mm. but in the service of a song with a fairly nauseating tone and although you're clearly not meant to take it 100 percent seriously you are expected to respond with genuine awe which is an expectation mm. i never appreciate that much you mm. know and i mean if you set yourself up the way queen do in this period with this much flash and pomp i want to see you howling into the face of god you know, not this shit. Because <laughs> in a way, it's remarkable how unexpectedly relatively boring Queen really are once you've heard mm. a couple of tunes. It's just the vocal histrionics and that very small room guitar sound. Thousands spent on increasingly sophisticated studios to make it sound like he's played in a wardrobe. Um, <laughs> and that's it. And beyond that, they're... They're just about the scale and spectacle and a version of camp that isn't too unmanageable to sell. Mm. And you get a little bit of what Led Zeppelin give you and a little bit of what Sparks give you, but all in the form of astronaut food. You know, you don't have <laughs> yeah. to chew it or heat it up with your brain. It's easy to get down, but it's not necessarily satisfying. And, and it really pains me to sound so much like a kind of script following music critic there but that's the mm. worst thing about queen they only deal in the obvious and they bring out the obvious in you you know mm. and it's never a good time when a group are this hard to think about and the, then thinking about them produces so little you can really spend a long time 
pondering on Queen and still not really have that much to say. And it's not because they confound critical thought or, you know, they change the rules as they go along, man, or anything that, you know, any Mm. good reason why a group can be hard to think or write about. It's because they take up so much space and then when you pierce the outer shell... It's just the same all the way through. There's nothing Mm. happening in Queen music after a certain point. There's musical movement and action, but it doesn't really do anything except parade up and down. Mm. Mm, It's not that it's terrible. I mean, I like a few Queen tracks. I like the B-side of this record, in fact, We Will Rock You. That's probably my favourite. Yeah, it's also been heard in too many other contexts, but when you actually listen to it it's very compact and direct and intense and weird and it's sort of a bit close up and uncomfortable like freddy's right up in your face you know and it just sounds like pure undiluted wrongness you know Mm. whereas this is like one part wrongness to 700 million billion parts the atlantic ocean (laughs) the irony is that for a band that were all about scale they're actually better the smaller and nastier and weirder and more stripped down and and Mm. and spiteful and perverted they sound you know and the further the music shifts and bloats to this non-human scale you know like giant doric columnated pomp for the sake of it the easier it is to ignore even when the lead singer's dressed as a bottle of Sheridan. (laughs) It's just just so easy to just just let it wash over you, you know? Yeah. And we will rock you. Put another minute on that. You've got a fucking massive hit single. That big fuck up by Queen there. Yeah, but I like it. And that's the late 70s version of rock on, isn't it? Yeah, but I like that. I like the fact that it's so short and it just finishes and you're like, what, Mm. what, was that it? And so you have to play it again. True. It's strange with Queen, yet somehow, and I can't really quite put my finger on it. I mean, it's it's really all about Freddie Mercury, you know, whatever essence or quality there is in mm. Queen. It's about him, this unabashedness. Yeah. He was the only person that grasped Live Aid. And he just had, you know, mm. there's a certain kind of quality that I don't, it might be illusory. It might not actually be anything admirable. It's not even something I necessarily particularly appreciate. But I, I'm just swayed by the idea that there there is really, really something about Freddie Mercury. One question that hardly gets asked about Queen, because probably because it's such a fucking stupid question, but I was watching this and I thought, how much of the Mercury tongue is in the Mercury cheek here? Mm. Queen's lyrics are never seen as the important thing about them. But here, he's laying it on with a fucking trowel, isn't mm. he? Oh, you know, you've given me fame and fortune and everything that goes with it. I thank you all, but I did it. Mm. I've suffered for my art. Yeah, well, I would say it's 50-50. I would say having his plate and eating it, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, but it's but it's but that's the camp aesthetic, isn't it? That you mm. find something utterly ridiculous and you undermine it, but at the same time, it is actually great. You yeah, do yeah. also mm. think it's great. Yeah. I think it's the same here. He's serious and he's also taking the piss. He didn't really do interviews as such, did he? I mean, he kept a bit like Prince. He kept his, you know, sort of cards yeah. close to his chest. So I think perhaps in, in order to sort of maintain, you know, that kind of having your cake and eating it, because if he spoke too much, if he became too discursive, then he might give the game away. People kept asking him when he was going to get married. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> the problem with Queen is, is that the other glamorous person is stuck behind some drums. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing about Queen, that uh, from about 1975 onwards, they were always there. Mm. I can't remember anyone in my school at the time being massively into Queen. And for that reason, I've always had it in my head that they were a bit of a middle-class band. You know, Queen are the band that the posh grabs on the nice estate 
found a, an entry point with. And I've always wondered why I thought that, and it hit me while I was watching this. It's Freddie Mercury's half a mic stand, isn't it? Mm. Which he used right from the beginning of Queen's career. And I realised that at the time, while I was using the warming pan that was on the wall as a base, (laughs) there'd be other lads of a higher class using their dad's golf clubs as a Freddie Mercury mic substitute. (laughs) Probably the driver. I haven't played golf for fucking decades, but, you know, if I picked a driver out of my golf bag, there's one fist going up in the air. (laughs) You know what I mean? See, what interests me here is that decades ago you played golf. I know, yes, I was thinking that, yeah. You don't mean crazy golf. (laughs) I'm just thinking your plus fours there all of a sudden and your little kind of no 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 back in the 90s me and my mates were well into pga tour golf on the mega drive and inspired us to have a go and and it was fucking mint have a bit of a walk have loads of spliffs crack (laughs) summer to fuck up with a stick Hmm. pretend to be freddie mercury fucking mint way to spend an afternoon yeah yeah yeah. it's not quite the arnold palmer spirit there but yeah there you go no no not really no yeah so where were Uh, we queen the old course yeah 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 News of the world was framed then and now as Queen going back to basics, even though you wouldn't fucking know it from this single. Mm. And as everyone knows, they recorded it at Wessex Studios, directly next door to the Sex Pistols who were putting together Nevermind the Bollocks. And as you can imagine, chaps, much larks ensued. Mm. Johnny Rotten was dared to crawl on all fours into Queen's studio right up to Freddie Mercury, who was playing piano, and say, hello, Freddie. And, uh, <laughs> you know, quite possibly thank him for pulling out of that interview on the Today Show with Bill Hunt <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. previous November. Mm. Yeah, apparently Johnny Rotten and Brian May got on really well. Mm. All right. And of course, we all know about Mercury calling Sid Vicious Simon Ferocious, <laughs> but very little's been said about Sid's side of the story. So allow me to quote an interview with John Tobin on Radio 1's Rock On Show, mm. which came out round about this time when he noticed the interviewer was drinking out of a Queen mug. Is that a Queen mug? Ugh. I saw Freddie Mercury in the flesh. Pictures just can't convey how revolting that bloke is. <laughs> He's absolutely hideous. He's like an old Turk. Oh. He's got a great blue shadow that comes up to under his eyes and this disgusting voice. He warbles away like, Oh, the ballet is rather good this season. He's absolutely awful. I've never met anyone like him. Hmm. So there we go. He's like an old Turk. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I think that some of Sydney's attitudes were a touch unreconstructed, uh, definitely. Mm. Um, Very much so. Yes. Very um, much so. Pakistani brethren, I think, came in for the rough side of his tongue. Ah, fuck Sid Vicious the cunt. Anything else to say? Yeah. I hate the way that people talk about Queen, especially Americans, like they've mm. somehow ghosted into this canon of unimpeachably brilliant classic rock that everybody loves, right? Mm. Like there's yeah. the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix, the Stones, and fucking Queen, you know. It's been forgotten. It's not even forgotten. It's been overwritten that while they existed, Queen were a horrible joke. Yeah. You know, anyone who was alive just in the 80s just remembers them hanging around Montreux with their vests and and moustaches, you know, eating and drinking the the money they'd made in South Africa. I mean, certainly that was all they were associated with by that point. They were for people who liked Mm. dire straits and go west, you know. They were like pure stadium stodge. And I'm all for re-evaluation, but there's nothing much to re-evaluate, really. They were a competent rock band who put on a show 
but I'm not going to be gaslit into thinking they were genius when it's obviously mm-hmm. like 10 or 15 good tracks and the rest is wallpaper paste, you know. Yeah, I've never listened to a Queen album and never will. No. Yeah, the only Why one you can you? get through is Sheer Heart Attack, which is not right. that bad. But generally, I think a lot of people just can't separate scale from skill. Um, mm. And it's, you know, I mean, it's no offence to Queen even, because 10 or 15 tracks is more than most people manage, right? Definitely, um, yeah. There's a lot of other groups who managed it, and people don't talk about them as though they invented oral sex, you know. Mm. <laughs> but I guess it, it, the terrible truth for people like us uh, is that rock history is now in the hands of american kids on youtube who react to it uh, with yes. no grasp of context you know mm. it's like no, phil collins uh, yeah, wow who who is annie lennox what a mm. voice <laughs> and and queen are sufficiently obvious to pass that test you know mm. and worse i don't think the thing that endures in that context is you know, the humour and the spectacular absurdity of Freddie's performance or any of the good stuff, it's just the crushing weight of everything, you know, mm. which which modern people respond to because at least it's something that their deadened hearts can feel, you know. Yeah. No, not, no just the weight, not, just, and not just the weight, but the, the windiness of it all as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it, it, I think that's what makes sense to 21st century people. No mm. time for losers. Like, share, subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) So the following week, We Are The Champions stayed at number six. But the week after that, it began the first of three weeks at number two, held off the summit of Mount Pop by this week's number one, a mull of Kintyre by Wings. The follow-up, Spread Your Wings, would only get to number 34 in March of 1978. But in 2011, a team of researchers at Goldsmiths University who were studying the sound waves of hit records deemed We Are The Champions the catchiest song ever, putting it above the likes of YMCA by The Village People and The Final Countdown by Europe, even though Goldsmiths doesn't actually have a science department, so I wipe an Alsatian's arsehole with what they have to say. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. 
I'm Scott Hancock, and I host From Queer to Eternity, a new podcast exploring what it means to be queer, where we have conversations like this. I look at younger generations and go, you can just Google this stuff. The fact that the only mention of queerness was don't get AIDS. <laughs> if I'd been marrying a girl, that would not have happened. Maybe we can find a, a universality that, that we weren't aware of before. That's why this podcast so great, because actually, well, I guess we just don't think to speak of this stuff, and yet it's part of our fabric. From Queer to Eternity, available to listen to now from the Great Big Owl Company. At number six, Queen, we are the champions. Best thing since Bohemian Rhapsody. And now, a little bit of beauty on top of the pops. Dorothy Moore, and I believe you. This is Nix and Co. Dancing to that song. I believe you. When you say that you will reach into the sky and steal a star so you could put it on my we go straight into a hoopy wipe effect while Powell, off camera, essentially tells us that everything Queen have done since Bohemian Rhapsody into We Are The Champions has been cat shit, before telling us that it's time for a little bit of beauty, as Legs & Co. prepare to emote to I Believe You by Dorothy Moore. Born in Jackson, Mississippi in 1946, Dorothy Moore was the lead singer of the Poppies, a girl group who were the original backing singers for Irma Thomas and Freddie Fender, before branching out on their own and having minor hits in the mid-60s with Lullaby of Love and He's Ready. After going solo in the late 60s, working with assorted labels, she finally hit the jackpot when her cover of Misty Blue, a country song originally recorded by Wilma Burgess in 1966, languished in the vaults of Malaco Records for three years before shooting up to number three in the Billboard charts and getting to number five over here in August of 1976. This is the follow-up to her cover of the 1961 Billy Walker song Funny How Time Slips Away, and was written by Don and Dick Adrissi, a duo in the Alessi mould who were having minor success at the time in America. It's also the lead-off cut from her new LP, Dorothy Moore. It nipped into the top 40 a fortnight ago at number 38, and this week it's risen five places from number 26 to number 21. And as she's in America and there isn't a video, here come Legs and Co for a flounce about. Well, chaps, last episode we discussed Big Tank Chess, and here's Flick Colbert playing Sexy Lady Croquet. <laughs> <laughs> I love her at this point. Legs and Co are being kept well away from the audience, right? Mm. They're often pre-recorded in an empty studio earlier in mm. the day it's like otherwise they think it'd be like that scene in apocalypse now where they fly in yes. the playmates <laughs> of the year doesn't bear thinking about <laughs> despite the fact that for this one they've been dressed in uh, ankle length green leggings underneath a yeah. loose dress but the dress yeah. is off the shoulder and they've all mm. got silver chokers and valkyrie style silver bicep bracelets it's uh, yeah a runner's been sent down to a sorry shopping shepherd's bush haven't mm. there for material well it mm. looks like their top half is attending a banquet in a castle where <laughs> bearded men stare meaningfully at them across the table with one eyebrow raised and their bottom half is pushing a pushchair around Wandsworth Park holding a caramel latte it's I mean impressive multitasking but it's not the most coherent image you know no but there's not that much to love or hate about this particular routine apart no. from Jill's 
painfully sincere expression at the start as she interprets the line, you will reach into the sky by pretending Mm. to reach into the sky. I mean, I suspect that this is one of the less considered and less well-rehearsed Legs & Co. routines. Yeah. Maybe put together in a bit of a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of them standard ones where they just walk about in yeah. formation. Yeah, there's That's a lot right, of yeah. aimless swanning about. And also quite a few of those moments where one of them realises they're slightly off their mark and does a yes. little hurried high-heeled trot to speed up a bit and get back in line. <laughs> Once seen, mm. never unseen. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that fixed, radiant smile just gets a little bit grittier just for that one second. Uh, yeah. But I like that. I like when there's a tear in the fabric like that, you know, and you can yeah. peer through this semi-erotic reverie and uh, get a glimpse of them, you know, two days earlier in a long room in a concrete building in Acton, you know, nine o'clock in the morning in November. Yeah. The one of them's drinking a box of Just Juice through a straw, you know. Just Juice? Mm. Ju- in 1977? Oh, no, no, no. Kellogg's yeah. Rise and Shine, Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oof. yeah. With still little bits of grit at the bottom. No yeah. Doubt. I think Just Juice was of the future. But you can imagine the scene, can't you? Come on, Jill. Really reach up into the sky, love. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Rosie, Rosie, stop moving your head like a goose all the time. <laughs> They're running through the familiar tropes, aren't they, in this particular routine? I, I agree. I suspect this one was uh, a bit of a rush job. Um, but then again, I mean... You've got to think, my granddad again. You know, he's he's this this is basically there to kind of to lower his heart rate after Freddie Mercury, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not like in Seven Days Jankers. He's thinking, you know, he wants his ass dipped in aniseed and pursued across rough terrain by famished bulldogs. <laughs> you know, he's he's got a, he's bloody great girl of a man dressed like that, giving me feelings. Whoa, no, no, I mean, he, you know, he didn't say that. You know what I mean? That's you know, he was yeah. very exercised. He was always very exercised by these glam boys, these glam men, and I think that yeah. I, and unfortunately. I think that, you know, the idea that, like, um, pants, people, or legs and co would kind of up the kind of heart rate, I think it would it would have lowered his, you know, really. And I think that was the mm. idea, this kind of balm, really, because, you it's know... It's soothing balm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the usual unerotic gyrations, really. I mean, Taylor said semi-erotic. Wow. I'd go yeah. all the way to un- unerotic. I mean, and I think that's, you know, again, it's deliberate. It's setting a cap on... Anything too intense, you know, that's kind of mandatory, really, at BBC. Yeah, because the record's about making love. Well, yes, absolutely. Mm. And I mean, you know, and I can't account for all tastes, but to me, they're very anti-masturbatory, legs and co. Pans people. <laughs> I mean, unless you get off on a woman wagging a finger at a dog or something like that. <laughs> well, no, round about this time, legs and co are doing a sex. Mm. This time, they're not. I mean, the, with the sorry material thing, the, the overall impression is if Naya's in Dagin, Naya Jeevan did a fashion show mm. and then realised that there aren't enough Asian models in the UK. Mm. So they've had to make do with Legs and Co. <laughs> it's a nice enough song. You know, it's the mm. sort of thing that Patty Boulay had knock out on the two Ronnies. Yeah. But it's not what I want at the age of nine. And it's certainly not what the dads want. No. 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 Well, I mean, it's okay. And it's, we always complain that there's a particular kind of uh, smooth pop soul record from especially from the 70s that sounds absolutely fine and is clearly more enjoyable than than live in trouble by the baron but but it doesn't really touch the sides and it's almost undiscussable because there's no particular significance to it and there's nothing hanging off it or 
sticking out no. the sides of it to grab hold of you know what i mean no. it's just a reasonably nice record and a, an acceptable soundtrack to tony blackburn's cum face and <laughs> mighty chest beating roar as he issues forth into tessa mm. wyatt's eye um a little sooner than expected but he had no choice because he suddenly remembered the next song on the tape was the wombling song and uh, <laughs> took the least worst option hmm. yeah. But the thing about this record, I'm unimpressed by the lyric, I believe you when you say you'll fill my body with your soul and love will grow yes. into a brown-eyed little girl who looks like we do. Even now, even in the 70s, they're, they're, they're having to take that route, the brown-eyed handsome man route. Mm. But of all the things mm. that one might have been asked to believe in the 1970s, surely this is the one that requires the least credulity. Right, it's not exactly the Enfield mm. poltergeist, is it? Like you're saying, oh, what no. if we have sex and I get pregnant? We might have a kid that looks like we do. Yeah, well, you know, mm. it's like saying, I believe you when you say if you lob a bottle of milk off the multi-story car park, it it will not survive <laughs> the fall and and milk will go everywhere. It's like, oh well, I'm glad it's good to have mm. your trust, you know. So I much prefer the line. I'd live in a cave if you wanted to, because it makes me think of uh, Dorothy Moore <laughs> and her, her boyfriend living like the Hair Bear Bunch. Yes, you know, uh, or or smiling lovingly at each other while absolutely plastered in bat guano. Stay at home every night, never quarrel or fight. Oh, we yeah. don't even bite. <laughs> Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure that records like this aren't even made as additions to the kind of the great soul canon or anything like that. They are purely about the programming. They exist because there is a need, you know, doing a program like Top of the Pops for the, you know, let's just calm down a little bit, you know, and uh, we can't have like the nipple erectors, buzzcocks and the snivelling shits all in sequence, you know, we've got to have uh, a little bit of respite. And I think it's really just functions as respite, mm. no more. I think that's why there was commercial yeah. demand for records like this. Really, what should have happened is... Uh, a nice little film clip of Dorothy Moore yeah. sort of flouncing around a garden, you know, holding roses to her face and all this kind of stuff. Leaving Legs and Co. to do Orgasm Addict. <laughs> <laughs> Dressed up as tissue boxes <laughs> or something. Yeah. Anything else to say about this? Yeah, I noticed there was an interview with her in this week's Record Mirror. Oh, yes. Also featuring an on-the-road piece with the jam in Dachau. Oh, God, we didn't even mention that. Yeah. Yeah, their tour manager is very fond of um, leaning out the window at passers-by shouting, we won the war. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. Witty stuff. But yeah, there was an article on uh, Dorothy Moore, which was headlined, Dorothy's more than just a thick hick. <laughs> That's all I know about Dorothy Moore. <laughs> You'd like to hope so, yeah. Apart from uh, mm-hmm. Misty Blue. That's all yeah. I know. She's more than God. just a thick mm. hick, and she believes her boyfriend when he tells her where babies come from. Mm. Low bars to get over, but still both definite positives, you know. And, I, you know, I suppose this record is too on balance. You know, it's all right. Yeah, there. it'll do. Mm. So the following week, I believe you dropped two places to number 23, but rallied the week after to number 20, its highest position. But it would be the last dent that Dorothy Moore put into the UK charts. A year later, I believe you was covered as a single by... Carpenters. The Carpenters. Mm. But it only got to number 68 on the Billboard chart and wasn't even released over here. 
you more. I believe you. That's beautiful. And Lexi Co, they dance so beautifully. And now, well, what have we got? So it's status quo and rocking all over the world. This is at number five. Hello, Blue Eyes. Hi. Hi, hi. Let's get down to this one. Yeah. We cut back to Powell with two more women. They're obviously being let in two by two, just like at Santa's Grotto. These two look almost new wave compliant with shorter hair and blank expressions. After telling us that Legs and Co dance so beautifully, he introduces the next single. But when it starts, it sounds like he's been instructed by the gallery to chat up the women. So he says, hello, blue eyes. Hi, hi. Let's get down to this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, by this point, there's this middle section of the episode, Peter Powell's links get really creepy. It's like oh, God, suddenly yeah. this tender softness creeps in, right? Mm. It's like he's going, oh, they dance so beautifully. It's like he's doing one of those afternoon TV ads, you know, for a donkey sanctuary. Up to 15% of your donation will reach Miguel or someone like him. Won't you please give? And you think, thank God for a change of pace. But then no, because just the way he says the title of this record makes me want to crawl back into the womb. Anyone's womb, I don't care. Just, But it's that, yeah, that little squeak at the end when he goes, yeah, fucking piglet oh with these yeah. violet elizabeth curls it's like oh, he needs to <laughs> kick up the seat of the pants that little stinker i strongly believed he's being egged on by the gallery to be a bit more alpha yeah mm. yeah he's standing with women but his free hand is still clinging onto that mic it's not being snaked around anyone's waist or shoulders or, or anything like that <laughs> and it's like oh this isn't right you've got to dip your bread in mate it's top of the pops, this is what you do. Yeah, but he's the only person in the studio operating at that energy level. You know, that, that's the mm. weird thing about it. Yes. Because actually, that's the thing, you know, when you're Edmonds and you're Travis or whatever, you know, they are, and Bates, you know, they are actually in keeping with that slightly kind of lukewarm level of enthusiasm. But, mm. you know, he's truly trying to sort of G things up, even in his, his appallingly white-trousered way. This one happens to be Rocking All Over the World by Status Quo. We've covered the overlords of heads down, no nonsense group masturbation a few times on chart music. And this single, a cover of the 1975 John Fogerty single, which failed to chart in the UK, is their first new release of 1977 and the follow up to Wild Side of Life, which got to number nine for two weeks in January of this year. It's also the lead-off cut from their ninth LP of the same name, which comes out next week. But all is not well in the Quo camp. After hiring Pip Williams, the former guitarist of Jimmy James and the Vagabonds, who arranged a fluty bit in Kung Fu Fighting, the Ramadan Ooh. number one of 1974, yes. as their new producer. And while Rick Parfit really likes a touch of class he's added to the production, Francis Rossi and Alan Lancaster think their new album is, quote, Poxer. <laughs> the single entered the chart a month ago at number 32, then soared 15 places to number 17. And since then, it's stealthily and nimbly picked its way up the side of Mount Pop. And this week, it's nipped up one place to number five. 
As the band are currently making their way to Cork to begin their 99-date Rocking All Over the World tour, which shamefully fails to take in Africa, North America, South America, Central America, Asia, and both poles, we've been treated to a clip from the video. So, boys, here we are again, 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 again. again. Why don't we do it again? Yeah, I mean, mm. a song like this, to me, it's it's hard in terms of, like, discourse. It kind of, you just sort of slide off it like a kind of grease plank of wood or something like that. I mean, it's not something that can, mm. it's, it's, just a, it's just a fact of life. A, a song like this it's not so much a kind of artifact really yeah and it's it's tricky to find things you know to say about it in a sense because it's 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 well let's find those i know yes oh yeah don't worry yes, yes so don't worry i was absolutely shocked when i found out this was a cover because it is the most quo song ever mm. if you fed a strip of denim into a computer and waited for the spools at the top to spin about <laughs> this is a song that would be spat out the other end <laughs> yes it is it is essence of quo yes ode a quo Ode Quo, yeah, fucking definitely. hell. That's what denim yeah, should have yeah, been. Yeah, definitely. The advert for Ode Quo would be a denim shirt opened up and a woman's hand sneaking up and then being slapped away so uh, <laughs> so the bloke could have a polish at the uh, end. For men who don't have to try, and so they don't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this record, although, as far as I know, it was not where Quotidians, or whatever their fans <laughs> call themselves, uh, lost the faith is certainly the point where an objective listener can tell that status quo are no longer accelerating remorselessly towards some mm. kind of greasy high-speed motorway wipeout mm. and no. entry into rocker Valhalla. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're going through the quotients, mm, aren't Very they? much. Yeah, well, worse than that, they're losing speed, they're losing mm. momentum, they're, they're, and they're drifting into this motoric muzak you know yeah. dressed up in unlaundered denim but with freshly washed hair mm. this sort of sounds like paper plane or down down or one mm. of those records in the same way that a man in a gorilla suit sort of looks like a gorilla but <laughs> if you watch them fight over a banana you'll soon see the difference mm. and it's the same here and but the fault is not with the song if you listen to john fogarty's original the logic is is different he made sense of of this song right mm. okay if you go and listen to the other single from that john fogarty lp uh which is called almost saturday night which is one of edwin collins's favorite singles and i love it too right. um and then after that you listen to his version of this it all falls into place right mm. if you can stomach the sort of shit kicking down home plaid shirt feel of it which not everyone can mm. you understand that this song is just a sort of less musical version of almost saturday night it's like a straight shot of moonshine right it's really right. It's, it's pure pop in a way john fogart is kind of hairy and he's like woody from cheers you know and he's got bits in <laughs> but his good stuff has a, a basic roughness and attack and simplicity which is totally joyous and wide open you know mm. but then you listen to this after listening to that and the first thing you notice is the vacuum packed laboratory conditions sterility of this record you know mm. so obviously quo are equally gritty and astute in their presentation but 
yeah the 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 sound of their records from now on is is edgeless and yeah automated it's mm. that repetition which is never hypnotic mm. they sound like a huge expanse of formica stretching yeah. off into infinity you know <laughs> i guess that's what what francis and alan found poxy and i i have mm. to agree mm. with them I mean, yeah. it's not really so much rocking, it's trucking, really. And it's not so much that they're going <laughs> all over the world or even around the world. They're just going around in these circles, these kind of decaying loops, really. <laughs> and it's interesting, that, you know, because obviously, you know, people like Noy have been doing the whole motoric thing, but there are edges. There's, like, peripheral details or whatever. There's a sense of, like, impetus. There's a sense of, like, the paradox of being of stasis and momentum and all that kind of stuff going on there. And this yeah. is just... Yeah, I mean, there's repetition and there's repetition, put it that way. This is B-road motoric, isn't mm. it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Far, far, far out, uh, B-46. Yes. <laughs> They've left just enough bits of straw in it to trick you into thinking that it's organic and mm. soily, you know, and it's, it's got an odour of piss, you know. But... <laughs> Really, you can see where all this is heading, and the flatness and the the weariness and and the sort of sodden thump of this record are status quo's new direction. Mm. Yes, I mean you compare it to the jam, right? Like the spindly early jam that we saw here, mm. and you know, in the broadest possible sense, they're playing the same kind of music. It's rock and roll. It's simple guitar, yeah. but. Whatever else you say about the jam, they are free of stodge and they're full of mm. fresh air and ideas and movement. And we can sit here in the justifiably cynical 21st century and giggle about the, the hyperactive, incoherent optimism and idealistic energy of the young jam, you know. Mm. But then or now, who would choose this? Who would choose the zonked out, silent toe-tapping of this record mm-hmm. over the, the speedy three-hour conversation over one cup of coffee in the local calf that is the modern world? You know, even if yeah. most of what's being said in that conversation is a little bit silly, you know, that's not mm. the point. Mm. One of them is at least obnoxiously alive, you know, and the other one moves like a zombie. Mm. I mean, there's only an 11-year age gap between Francis Rossi and Paul Weller, but it might as well be 40. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in lots of ways. Mm. Like I say, it's tricky. I mean, it's almost aspiring to this kind of down the lineness does exactly what it says on the tin you know it's it's just the straight stuff no rules straight down the line you know there's that sort of pretentiousness in a sense about it you know but it's not really those things i mean there are other people i mean like motorhead make them sound well freely you know you can be yeah. much much straighter than status quo <laughs> suicide the same year ghost rider that is getting right down to the absolute electric wire of things you know but that's mm. you know that there, there are certain kind of straightnesses that are a bit too much yeah i think the really upsetting song is they go on about rocking all over the world but they don't even talk about the world mm. no no yeah. it's just it's just that they like it they're rocking all over their world yeah i mean for fuck's sake why don't you add a few world music sound effects in why don't you have a bit where there's some chinesey music mm. and then some nose flute from the andes yeah yeah a picaresque tour of the americas and the orient yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. add in the uh the ambient sound of a Persian market. Yes. <laughs> I always think we should do that on this podcast. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, you, you know, rather than, like, the sound of low-flying police helicopters and yeah. kids screaming at each other out on the estate, you know. Yeah, and the well cunt well. across the road doing his fucking soaring again. 
Mm. <laughs> Honestly, man, he's there all the time. He's sawing up planks of wood, and he never uses them for anything. He hasn't built one shack yet mm. across the road. What's he using them for? Mm. He's just being a fucking annoyance. Mm. Mm. Well, I said that's a metaphor for status quo, really, isn't it? You know, they just produce yes. sort of series of planks of wood to no particular mm. end. Mm. Yes, well it's played, just David. Just a little too neat. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the video that we get, it, you know, it's your bog standard band pretending to play live promo that we were kind of getting used to by 1977, but with one major difference because you know you're looking at it and there appears to be very little sight of the recently deceased Alan Lancaster because you know he's relocated to Australia at this time and clearly he couldn't be asked to drag himself around the world for this. So. Uh, what have they done, chaps? Did you not notice this? Not on the first viewing. No. No. <laughs> it is a dummy, isn't it? Mm. Yes. They, they've <laughs> replaced him with a dummy in yeah. an Alan Partridge's wife style and fashion. <laughs> it moves as well, man. It's proper animatronic. Mm. The BBC clearly didn't approve of that, did they? Because yeah. the only time we see him on this episode of Top of the Pops is when they do a sweep round the back of the stage and we just see his electronic arse going left and right. Like he's, <laughs> he's had a hip replacement and he's jogging on the spot. <laughs> and the first time I saw it, it's like something fishy about this. Yeah, yeah. And then I checked it up. Mm. And yes, they have a proper proto-animatronic horror and you see him in the full video <laughs> looks like they've gone around the back of fucking Madame Two Swords and they've lobbed out a Jason King dummy <laughs> and yeah they're using it and he's there with a bass and his fret hand is forming a V sign which could well be construed as a message from status quo to their missing bassist <laughs> well you described him as the recently deceased Alan Lancaster you mean recently yeah. deceased as of the time of this recording yeah. of course yes, if he'd yes. been the recently deceased Alan Lancaster at the time that at least would have been a good excuse yeah like, it would have been a little grotesque it'd be like just is but the great quo conspiracy theories of Alan is dead you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes <laughs> but if they'd had any sort of modicum of wit or conceptual sense they'd have like had animatronic models for all of them and bunged that mm. out and it would have been in keeping yeah well maybe rossi ought to think about that now mm. <laughs> just as a footnote i saw a thing the other day it was a an article from an old music paper from mm. uh 1968 about the supposed rock and roll revival of 1968 which seemed yeah. to be mostly just lady madonna as far as i could make out mm. apparently there's all these all these bands playing 50s type rock and roll and so in this article you've got all these musicians like the move and stuff hailing the revival of a 50s influence sound you know and then mm. the last paragraph in it says but one popster who's hoping it won't return <laughs> is status quo's rick parfit quote <laughs> I hope rock doesn't come back. Since the days of rock, pop has progressed so much as a musical art form, and it would be very retrogressive to return to such an old sound. We should be looking for new sounds instead, unquote. Yeah. But he's a voice in the wilderness, concludes the cheerfully unnamed writer. How delightful, a man of his word. A match, yeah. Yes, a matchstick man talking there. So the following week, rocking all over the world hauled itself up to number four, and a week later, it would commence a three-week stint in the number three slot. 
Rossi and Lancaster's disillusion with the LP ensured that no further cuts would be taken from the album, meaning there was a nine-year-long wait for the follow-up again and again, which got to number 13 in September of 1978. In the summer of 1985, of course, Quo were invited by Bob Geldof to be the opening act at Live Aid, specifically because he wanted Rockin' All Over the World to be the first song played that day. And three years after that, they put out a version called Running All Over the World as a tie-in with Sport Aid 88, which got to number 17 for two weeks in August of that year. God, status quo inspiring the youth to run <laughs> away from them in, in circles. Right, pop crazy youngsters, that's your quota for this episode. But if you want to ram your head further into the bucket of 1977, don't forget we have a video playlist which is absolutely ramo this episode. Everything we watch, everything we talk about, and every little tangent we go on. Get your arse over to Bitlair, that's B I T dot L Y slash C M sixty two vids and go yourself on a nice big hunk of 77 anyway on behalf of david stubbs and taylor parks i'm al needham and you are doing as you're told and staying pop crazed sharp music great big All of television history is contained within the box of delights. It was happening in front of us. Incredible. In our living rooms. It was amazing. Guests pick their favourite television moment. And tell us why they love it. And is this the episode where Daisy's just been for the interview at the Women's Magazine? Flaps. That's it, Flaps. Yeah. (laughs) Named one of Radio Time's best podcasts of the year. I don't understand people who don't see the joy in drawing the curtains, mug of hot chocolate and something nice on TV. Like, what could be nicer than that? Than having a snuggle. Exactly. Nostalgia in bite-sized chunks. Box of Delights from Great Big Owl. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.